Hello and a warm welcome as you join us on Search for Truth. Thanks for tuning in. Brian, uh, our Bible teacher, continues today with seven ideas that turn the world upside down. And that's our new series. And it's talk number two today. It's called God Once Lived Among Us. So tell us more, Brian. Thanks, John. Leo Tolstoy, the famous author of War and Peace, once wrote of his personal search for the meaning of life. He'd rejected Christianity as a child, and after university he entered the social world of Moscow and Petersburg, and there drinking heavily, living promiscuously, gambling, and leading a wild life, he became ambitious for money, which he achieved through money from book sales and from an inheritance. Now having money, he looked for success, fame, and importance. And this he also achieved, for the Encyclopedia Britannica lists War and Peace as one of the two or three greatest novels in world literature. But he was still left asking the question, well, fine, so what? At this point, he became ambitious for his family, that he might give them the best possible life. But the other question, which brought him to the verge of suicide, was, is there any meaning in my life which will not be annihilated by the inevitability of death which awaits me. To try to answer this, he searched in every field of science and philosophy. He saw his contemporaries weren't facing up to what he called the first-order questions of life, questions like, where did I come from? Who am I? Where am I going? He eventually found that the peasant people of Russia had the answer, in their Christian faith. The hope for which he had been searching was found in Jesus Christ. So Tolstoy did find a meaning that was not annihilated by the inevitability of his impending death, and he could only find it in Christianity. Jesus Christ is the only religious leader in history who claimed to be God incarnate, God come as man. The claim of Christianity is that God visited this earth in Jesus Christ to show just how much he really cares about human beings. Obviously, this is a radical idea, but is it true? Professor Richard Dawkins says about Jesus Christ, it's possible to make a serious case that Jesus never existed. I put it to you that all that statement shows is that we've all got some kind of bias that goes against our better judgment. Let me illustrate what I mean. I remember once having an old car that I had patched up. When it came time for it to go in for its test of roadworthiness, I was really hoping that it would get a pass certificate. I was hoping against my better judgment, since the car probably wasn't very safe. I was biased against accepting any view of the test inspector which was in conflict with my own self-interest, anything that was going to cost me money to have it repaired properly, and that was against my self-interest, or so I thought. In the same way, It's just as easy for us to be biased against accepting a view of God if it seems to conflict with our own self-interest. We may not always want a God who's fair, especially if we're conscious of our own shortcomings. That's just one possible bias we might have against discovering the truth. Having said that, let's face up to Dawkins' challenge when he says it's possible to make a serious case that Jesus never existed. Actually, This is nonsense. I'll confine my comments to two points. First of all, the historian Tacitus, no connection with the Bible, 
wrote in 115 AD of Jesus' existence by recording how Nero, in AD 64, put the blame for the fire of Rome onto the hated class of Christians, so named, he says, after their founder, whom he states suffered the death penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of the then proconsul Pontius Pilate. In fact, there's far more documentary evidence for the life of Jesus Christ than there is for Julius Caesar. But you don't hear many people disputing that Caesar was a historical character, do you? Then there's W.H. Lecky, who wrote A History of Europe, in which he stated that the impact of the three public years of Jesus' ministry had a more profound impact than all the writings of moralists and philosophers have ever had, even if you put them all together. Ah, you say, I'm happy to concede that Jesus Christ truly existed, and that he was a good man, whose moral teachings have proved beneficial to many. But what if the Jesus of history and the Jesus of faith are two different persons? Well, it's easy to be biased, as we've shown, and it's easy to be cynical. One speaker, visiting a school assembly to talk to the children about God, asked for questions. One lad near the back of the hall smirked as he asked, You ever seen God, mister? The speaker paused for a moment and said, No, but if I'd been around 2,000 years ago, I could have. You see, former United States President Ronald Reagan said something that touches on this point about the Jesus of history and the Jesus of faith. What Reagan once said was this, meaning no disrespect to the religious convictions of others, I still can't help wondering how we can explain away what to me is the greatest miracle of all. A young man whose supposed father is a carpenter grows up working in his father's shop. One day he puts down his tools and walks out of his father's shop. He starts preaching on street corners and in the nearby countryside, walking from place to place, preaching all the while, even though he's not an ordained minister. He does this for three years. Then he's arrested, tried and convicted. There is no court of appeal, so he's executed at age 33 with two common thieves. Those in charge of his execution roll dice to see who gets his clothing, the only possessions he has. His family can't afford a burial place for him, so he's interred in a borrowed tomb. End of story? No, this uneducated, propertyless young man who left no written word has for 2,000 years had a greater effect on the world than all the rulers, kings, emperors, all the conquerors, generals, admirals, all the scholars, scientists and philosophers who've ever lived, all of them put together. How do we explain that? Unless he really was who he said he was. The decision we have to make concerning the identity of the historical Jesus has famously been presented like this. Jesus Christ himself claim to be the Son of God. And so the only options for us are that he was either a liar or a lunatic or truly Lord of all. You see, Jesus claimed to be God's Son, which, if true, simply means that he's in fact Lord. But if it's a false claim, then Jesus cannot be considered to have been even a good man, for they don't make false claims. So in that case, he must have been either a liar or a lunatic, depending on whether or not he knew that the claim he was making was false. We said there that Jesus Christ claimed to be God. You might object and say, 
Jesus never actually said the words, I am God. Perhaps that's true. But imagine you're out driving one day and your car breaks down. You call George's garage. Half an hour later, a breakdown truck pulls up in front of you with George's garage written above the cab. The mechanic's overalls and the bill that you have to sign both say the same thing, George's garage. Very soon the car's fixed, but when you arrive back home, someone says to you, but did you ask the bloke and did he say that he was from George's garage? Well, no, you hadn't. But everything about the man, especially in those particular circumstances, totally convinced you. That's like the way in which Jesus effectively claimed to be God. What he did and everything about him speaks for itself. What he did wasn't done in a corner. The works which were his credentials were very public. People who were not yet his followers said at the time that no one could do the things Jesus did unless he came from God. One who was his follower, Peter, put it like this, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. That last point is important. Peter could say to a hostile audience, as you yourselves know. Even they couldn't dispute the facts. Whereas legends like that of King Arthur were built up over centuries, Peter was talking to Christ's contemporaries. Born a Jew, Jesus endorsed fully the commandment, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. But yet, at times, for example, after healing the blind man as recorded in John's Gospel chapter 9, Jesus allowed people to worship him. Put these two facts together, and what else can you make of them but that Jesus was, in fact, claiming to be God? On another occasion, Jesus caused quite a stir by publicly saying to someone, your sins are forgiven. Read about that in Mark chapter 2. The Jewish religious authorities who were within earshot were shocked and they protested, who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, if someone sins against my neighbour, it's not appropriate for me to grant forgiveness simply because I'm not the offended party. But the Jews knew from their book of Psalms that all sin is ultimately against God. And so to them, by claiming to forgive a man's past sins, Jesus was unmistakably claiming to be God. Jesus came to make God known to us. It's because in Jesus, God came as man that we can really come to know God. And you could say the kind of character Jesus displayed, and even loving his enemies, for example, is all that we could ever wish God to be like. His was the most attractive human life ever, the ultimate. Faced with that, and coupled with his astounding claims, we must make a stark choice and say either he was in fact exactly who he claimed to be, or he was bad or mad because he was a deceiver. The Bible emphatically describes him as both our Saviour and our God. Titus 2 and verse 13.
As usual, there's a transcript booklet of all the talks in this seven-part series. So if you'd like one, or more than one copy for group Bible study or to pass on to friends, please make sure to let us have your postal address and ask for the title Seven Ideas. You can also download our booklets via the internet or you can order by email or by post. So first of all, I'll give you the postal address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. And now, here's our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, if you wish, you can download uh, audio, MP3s, or podcast versions of some past programmes. Just go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk. Now, some titles of Search for Truth booklets are also available at amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box and then you'll find us. But we have to go now, so thank you for your company today and uh, do join us next week for another talk in this series. But until then, it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian our studio technician David, our singers, and me, John. So goodbye, and may God richly bless you.